Hey guys, I'm Danny Castellano, and this is Diet Culture. I'm super excited for today's guest. Kimmy Singh is a fat registered dietitian based in New York City. She's an associate at LK Nutrition, a private practice that supports clients with eating disorders to heal their relationships with food and body. Kimmy supports her clients with a fat positive and anti-oppressive framework and has a special passion for working with people that have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Kimmy is also a sought-after speaker and has presented at several national conferences. She presents on the effects of anti-fat stigma in healthcare and nutrition. Kimmy is a believer in kindness, compassion, and the power of advocacy. Learn more about Kimmy at www.bodypositivedietitian.com. And I'll throw all her links in the description of this podcast. Um, So Kimmy and I have spoken before, but this is our first like face-to-face conversation. And I super loved getting to talk with her about weight stigma, about some of the really um, major problems within the dietetics profession and some of the professional organizations, about body positivity and how she speaks to different organizations about um, the political issues of fat people being oppressed in our society. Um, We talk a little bit about self-care, which is so, so important always, but especially during a pandemic and so many difficult conversations being brought to light. And she speaks to how being fat is her identity. And so doing that work of something that Um, is a part of you can be so exhausting and she's just super open and lovely to have a conversation with. So without further ado, Kimmy Singh. Hello, good morning for me. It's afternoon where you are. (laughs) Yes, just barely afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm super excited to actually get to see your face and to connect and have a conversation outside of like being providers. (laughs) Right. Same. Yeah. It's funny how, yeah, we connected that way, but it's nice to always meet the person behind it. Yeah. So I always want to hear the story of how dietitians um, enter this space because we don't really get trained that way. And I'm so curious, like what your journey has looked like to get into the world of healing relationship with food as a dietitian. Yeah, that's such a great question. So, um, you know, I wasn't planning on becoming a dietitian until I learned about like a non-diet intuitive eating approach. And for me, it was, yeah, I finished my bachelor's in physics and I was planning on pursuing a career in engineering. But then like, as I realized I had an eating disorder, which I didn't even know happened in anyone that like didn't have the, like I'm using air quotes, but like traditional eating disorder look. Yeah. And that's when I learned through my own recovery that there's a whole different approach to food. And I had a really positive experience like with my dietitian and yeah, it just felt like a really great fit career wise. And so the, I kind of learned about it before heading into the tr- the training, which, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. That is so rare. You're actually the first, I'm sure you're not the only person, but you're the first person I've heard that had like a positive entry into dietetics. Right. And I always wonder like if it would have been easier before, if I learned later, just because I think going through the training and knowing about the other side or like knowing that there's so much they weren't including in the curriculum and yeah, like it, it made me, it was a really frustrating process. Like I loved my, a lot of my professors and my peers, but it was still tough knowing that beforehand. Yeah. 
I bet. Um, I'm always so curious what's going on in the academic field because I don't really have much access into that at this point um, because it really needs so much help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I honestly feel like so many students are interested in this approach. And that's that's what my gauge was, because when I spoke about it, so many people would support me and then or come up to me after class and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you spoke about it. And so I think a lot of students are looking for something different. They want to step away from that traditional because I, I feel like that traditional approach, not only is it not helpful for the patient, but for the provider, it's very limiting. Yeah, no, you're yeah. totally right. So I guess it will be kind of up to them to start to make some changes and continue to to speak louder about it. Hopefully that will create a shift within the academic field for dietetics. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm hoping that more professors will get on board because then we could even like change research and yeah, just have um, yeah different training process as a whole. Like I can't, dem- can you imagine if all dietitians were trained with a weight inclusive lens? Oh my gosh, it would be so different. It would save so much time because I was not in that case. Like I went in very like I watched the documentary Super Size Me and I grew up with divorced parents who had to feed us fast food all the time because they were working. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like they didn't even know I need to help people be healthy. It's just like the typical and just the progression, the time it took to unlearn which I, I get, like, people need that time. That's fine. I'm not beating myself up. It just sucks mm-hmm. for the people that I impacted with that lens before I started to be like, oh, my gosh, like, what mm-hmm. the heck is going on? I get that. Yeah. And it's, like, it's so tough because you were also a victim to the system. Like, you, yeah, like, um, the training kind of failed you. Or just, like, not just you, like, everybody. Because it's it's tough that so many people, like, were taught, like, I'm even thinking the BMI ranges without knowing anything about the history. And it's, it's really a disservice to the students. It is. You, um, do you, you're involved with diversified dietetics? A little bit. Well, I'm, um, I'm like in the mentor mentee program. So I'm a mentor through diversified dietetics, which has been lovely. Oh my gosh. If anyone's listening and wants to do that, it's been really nice. Yeah. Good. So I actually applied to be a mentor as well. Mm-hmm. And because I am a thin white woman, I wasn't sure how yeah. they would be receptive to that. But I actually got matched with a mentee who had a similar path because I like became a DTR and worked at WIC and kind of took some time off. So we have a similar path that she's on. And it's been such an amazing experience. I like think so fondly of her and I'm so like excited for her Um, oh my gosh Danny that's so beautiful and I I feel the same about my mentee you know it's it's funny because I'm meeting with her after we record this oh cute yeah like it's and I feel and she's also south she's Indian and she's also wants to be an eating disorders provider so they just I was surprised they found someone that's such a good match and I feel like she was probably also surprised (laughs) like it's and it sounds like for you like your mentee is also such a good match Yeah, I guess they did a really good job with thinking about who they should pair people with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think that's another thing where like if we have more providers that aren't necessarily in academia, but that can support people along the way, I'm sure it'll just make it so there's less emotional energy we have to spend or that they have to spend as students. Yeah, I hope so too. Speaking of that, would you be open to talking a little bit more about what's gone on with the academy. Have you ever been involved with them? 
um, in your professional career, like been a member or anything? Um, a member, like when I was a student, we were required to be a member, I think in my internship. And okay. then, um, yeah, like my first year after I was like, okay, I guess I'll just renew this and see. And like, I don't know if I'm going to keep renewing. I'm not, yeah, I haven't fully decided. Um, I'm not feeling obviously very sold. And I'm trying to decide like, what are really the perks of being a member? And yeah, so I don't know. What about you? Do you have any insight on that? Yeah. So last year, like beginning of last year with the rise of um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, when things were called out to the academy, which I'm sure this was not the first time, but this was the first time I unfortunately was being made aware of this. Um, and just the way they responded, I remembered that day where people were just sharing and I was so disappointed in what seemed like the lack of caring at all genuinely and I decided to not renew my membership that year because I just was like I don't want you thinking I support this and it sucks because I mean there are some benefits but there's also so many ways to join in with the community outside of it too so yeah I I totally get that yeah their response last year was it was really disappointing and so on brand for them and I think that's what's so tough is as so many people are realizing there's so much more going on around race and social inequalities, a lot of these organizations don't want to really make changes. And yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to witness. Um, yeah. It is. And I've yeah. noticed, I don't know, have you gone to Fancy many times? I, have, I haven't been. And I, I don't know if I want to go, actually. So, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm kind of like anti-Fancy a little bit, not against other people going, but for yeah. myself. Yeah. So I actually have that same stance because the last time I went, I guess it was 2019 yeah. um, in Philly, they had an opening ceremony where the president kind of paraded herself like down the aisles and they spend a very long time talking about how they like got there. And it just feels very kind of gross like I'm not there to celebrate your like professional achievements that's wonderful I'm happy for you and we know that like there's so many things going on that are problematic inside of the dietetics realm so even two years ago I was even just thinking like all of the issues with diet culture and perpetuating eating disorders and I'm like why are we even spending like all this time opening with this and then they had a um, physician come and talk and I don't think that they enlightened him what the mm-hmm. average salary of a dietitian is. And he did this presentation. I honestly can't even recall what it, what the point was that he was speaking with us because he went over this slide and made a comment about how when you make like 90000 plus, you have so much taken from taxes. And I just was like, it really just didn't land. Because <laughs> wow, that is so like, ignorant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like, and oh I, my God, woo with them. <laughs> like, yeah, it was really like off-putting. Yeah. And I was awkwardly there with my boss who owns a very large private practice. This was at the time. And I was like, you probably relate to this, but I wonder how many other people in this room actually like are having the same thought because I'm over here like, <laughs> oh, Danny, that is too funny. <laughs> That's double my salary. Like, right, I'm right, sorry. Yeah. For sure. That is so wild. Oh my gosh. Like how tone deaf. 
And also, like, physicians tend to be so egotistical. And the fact that, like, they didn't even, this person didn't even consider, okay, I'm speaking to a whole different profession. I should, like, look into the salary before making this silly comment. I don't even, sorry, I don't even know why that was talked about. Like, I just... Tone deaf on so many levels, but right. it, and like parading the president around. Oh my god! It like it really kind of reminds me. Oh my gosh, this is such a stretch, and it's not at all the exact same. But like <laughs> similar, how like as people are critiquing the police, like their their response is to say like there's nothing wrong with us. And I feel like with the academy, like the organization is so large. And, like, the people involved are so connected. It just seems like they're not able to really respond to criticism. And their idea of diversity is just, like, having people of different races on pictures or, like, adding a tortilla to, like, the carb exchanges. Like, it's it's not anything thoughtful. Yeah. No, it doesn't seem authentic at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'll tell you one other story that I found interesting Please, and oh I'm not gosh, trying to like, so much. <laughs> bash fancy but also like I I, w- I would have this conversation with anyone because I'm like mm-hmm. I'm not about it but um we were in a talk about the new WW um, app for kids Kerbo yeah. is that what it was called I think so yeah Kerbo yeah and they they did like a a debate on it like they had one provider talking about why this was a problem and then someone was like defending it oh my gosh at fancy oh that's so terrible yeah that's so terrible. yeah yeah and so it was like there like christy harrison julie duffy dylan like some of those ladies uh rebecca scritchfield like that group a lot of them were there that year and they kind of like were sitting together and there was a question um thing you could do through the app that would come up and people were lighting it up with like why are we basically the argument that was made Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna be able to say this verbatim i could probably go back and look at my stories but along the lines of kids get bullied when they're overweight quote unquote Mm -hmm. so we need to prevent them from getting overweight Mm, yeah that's so oh my gosh and it's like so terrible because I feel like even dietitians that are fat phobic some of them understand that like BMI and children like that's not even a tool used for children in that you know what I'm saying like it's it's terrible across the board yeah but wow that's really messed up so yeah, forget fancy. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to go. I've been truly to say I was on the fence is a stretch. I really don't want to go unless I'm a speaker. And even then, I don't know if I want to be a speaker, you know, unless I'm speaking about something really radical, which I don't know if they would ever be into. Yeah. I don't know either. They had to talk about body image for the first time ever, I, I believe is what was said. But there were yeah. I went to five or six talks and it was that was it that you could go to that was about this kind of stuff. That's so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think of younger dietitians coming out, like so many people want to learn something different. And I don't think it's really representative of like newer dietitians. You know what I mean? Oh, I would say definitely not, especially with the parading around of the president like seriously like who can like is this a dictatorship i'm sorry what <laughs> that just gives me such like north korean vibes <laughs> yeah oh, oh my gosh my goodness, I, just, so. I can't even i'll digress but i just like 
Yeah. Mm, it's something else. Mm, something else is right. <laughs> um, so on that note, I want to talk about body positivity. And mm-hmm. when I say that, I want you to talk about body positivity because I want to hear like your whole thing and what it means to you. Right. Okay. So um, for those who are listening that don't know, like my, my brand name right now is Body Positive Dietitian. And so I chose this name um, after speaking to Deb Burgard, who was like the founders, one of the found, two founders of like the term body positive as it relates to body image. I think before that, when when she and someone else, like I think trademarked it, is that what they did? Something like that. Before that, it was actually used in like the HIV scene, like HIV positive scene, to sort of neutralize being HIV positive. And Deb and the other person reached out to those communities and said, hey, is it okay if we use this in this way? And they were totally on board with it. And so I feel like when it was created, like Deb is amazing and fat, and it was really created to center like fat positivity and the political component of body positivity. And since then, and I'm so glad that there are more conversations about it, but it's been so just like watered down. <laughs> and so yeah. a part of me using that in my brand is trying to take away some of the watering down, like take that water out. I don't know if it's really working, but I think for me, what I what I always like to convey to people is body positivity isn't about like just feeling good about your body. It's really trying to break down the, the systems that tell us that bodies are wrong or that are oppressing bodies, especially as it relates to fatness. Yeah. I love that. Um, That's been a big part of like unlearning and understanding because when I was in college, I also had an eating disorder and very much feeling like my body was my enemy and the whole thing of you have to fix your body to be happy, like the, the typical messages that we hear and realizing that like that's so again, tone deaf to be like starting out on Instagram talking about like how I can love my body, even though it's not perfect. And I'm like, so far moved away from that because I, I've realized that it was co-opted and I'm like, I, like, I apologize and I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So I was excited to hear like from you how, cause that is your, your handle and like such a big part of, of your work that you do. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, I think it's it's really hard because um, promoting positive body image, it's so important in that like naming that so many people of all different sizes feel like their body is so far from like the like quote unquote ideal just because the standards that like women and femmes are kind of put to, it's mm-hmm. so ridiculous. So it's just like the smallest thing can feel like something that people fixate on and such few people that are like in that category can really feel like they love their bodies and accept their bodies. And so it's like, how do we create space for that conversation while also promoting fat positivity? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know like the answers to it, but I think it's just such a tough part of this. I think just continuing to have those conversations is so crucial. Right. Very true. Like at at least part of it and just not stopping, but then it's like, the exhaustion that I'm hearing from so many people in the past like year and a half regarding so much of mm-hmm. everything being so heavy and tragic and just like furthering trauma that people already have. It's it's hard to to be like, keep going. But I also like, I love your messages and I hope that you continue them the way <laughs> Thank you. That they are and as you evolve because I think they are crucial 
to everyone. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, um, I'm kind of going through, I'm like maybe like a rebrand. I don't even know if rebrand is the right word, but like changing some things on my website. I I don't know if I'm going to change like the name, Okay. but, um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It's tough. It's a tough decision. Yeah. And you like, yeah, for the dietitians listening, like it's like the branding stuff. It's, there are so many considerations. It's cool and exciting, but also it feels like there's not a perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a really, what feels kind of intense question. Okay. I love it. When you have um, thinner clients or have get questions from thinner clients like regarding body positivity and body image, how do you handle like the blatant fat phobia. Um, because I'm realizing in eating disorder care, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wanting to be like, can you just like go read a book about how fat phobic you are? Because like, I'm, this is <laughs> not acceptable. Like I can't sit in a room and tell you, I think right. they fish for me to say, no, you still look really great. And they're like, oh, if as long as I don't gain more than this weight. And it's like their IBW. So I'm talking about right, right, their, like right. standard quote unquote anorexic body, right? Like right. bare minimum. And they're like, as long as I don't gain past this, I'm going to be okay. And I'm just like right. in my brain, I'm screaming. This mm-hmm. is so fat phobic. But also mm-hmm. like if I tried to unpack that with you at this level of care, you would probably jump off a cliff so like I can't do that and I want to know uh, an outpatient what are you able to tackle with that right 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 oh my gosh such a great question so one thing that I think makes a different makes some somewhat of a difference is like the fact that I'm a fat provider so my my body's always in the space now the virtual space so I think that's one thing so like the the blatant part of fat phobia that might be there when it's like a thin provider and a thin client it's just not, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily at the same baseline. So I think there's that piece. Okay. And then there's, but there is definitely elements of people saying like, oh no, well, I'm not, I'm not that big. Right. Or I'm, as long as I da- don't gain that much weight, it's fine. Right. And that's where it's so important to um, first like hold the line of like not feeding into it. Yeah. And yeah. I think when it comes to like educating them on fat phobia, there's a time and a place. Like if somebody is at a really at a place where their eating disorder is really loud, I think educating them on fat phobia or anything else, it's only going to go so far because yeah. they're hearing it through the lens of their eating disorder. And so for me, I kind of ask like, how do I not collude with their eating disorder and agree that like, oh yeah, as long as you're at this weight, you're fine. But um, I also and also recognize this might not be the time to talk about every system of oppression. Right. Um, and maybe also sort of naming like right now it might feel really scary for you to gain more than that amount of weight. But maybe if we can take it one day at a time, we can face that bridge when it comes. Yeah. And so like trying to give it in pieces as it feels appropriate. I think I think it's tough. It's it depends on each case. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. No, it totally yeah. does. Um. Yeah, I'm it's such a needed conversation for sure. And I, I always think of like people providers like you, like in a higher level of care, it's really tough because you're catching people where I think there's just, yeah, like there's so much going on and it's, there can be such a fragile place that people are at. Mm -hmm. And I also, I also see like people that um, were at a higher level of care and then years down the road, they're working with me and they're like, oh yeah, my dietitian or my therapist there said I would never gain more than this amount of weight or they validated that I wouldn't gain that much more weight. 
And I, so I, I usually tell providers like relapse prevention means also reminding people that bodies do change and preparing them for that. Yeah, I I think when the providers haven't done their own work, because there's so much to do mm-hmm. that they do reinforce it. And it's so tricky, like even having conversations with someone about how weight redistributes Mm-hmm. I, I'm always like, I'm going to explain the process to you and I want you to know that I don't care if it happens, right. but you're probably going to hear about it and we need to talk about what that means because I've heard it described in a way of like, oh, like, I know this is so uncomfortable, but within like a year it's going to redistribute and then you won't be. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're reinforcing mm-hmm. not right. accepting a body. Exactly. Yeah. It's bad this way. And I'm like, ah, it's scary. Yeah. Like, cause they want to hear that so desperately. Right. And to- and, yeah. And it feeds into the reading disorder. And so it's like, um, I think it can be really hard for providers to stand strong against it, but, um, is it really recovery if you're telling them, oh yeah, it's fine. You're not going to gain that much more weight. You know, like you're really feeding into it. Yeah, I really don't enjoy that part of higher level of care. Like, mm-hmm. as a dietitian, like, I'm in charge of someone's body, basically. Mm-hmm. And especially there is definitely where I'm located a heavy instance of people coming in at very, very low body weights because they come from the acute hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's there's definitely a typical body type that is being encountered in, in that facility right. for that reason, which is frustrating Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's a tough a tough conversation all around because it's like I can see Mm -hmm. so like far past that and I miss being able to have those conversations more Mm -hmm. like intensely but at higher level of care I'm like oh gosh like yeah uh, drop a seed of this and then (laughs) hopefully one day someone will help you water it and you won't go to the wrong provider yes I was just thinking yeah like you're planting so many seeds yeah. And like, there are so many times when clients are like, oh, yeah, um, at a residential or wherever, like somebody mentioned that. Can you tell me more about that? And so, yeah, planting those seeds, it always makes a difference, I think. Um, I'm curious what you find some of the biggest barriers in your work as an outpatient dietitian. Hmm. Let's Be- see. Um, do you have like a specific context? Yeah, I'm not yeah. always the best at asking questions, so please <laughs> ask for clarity. No, you need it. I love your questions so far. <laughs> okay. So I'm thinking like we exist in diet culture in this fat phobic mm-hmm. space, and you have a certain group of people you're working with, and mm-hmm. like I just remember as an outpatient dietitian, it was hard because they were not prepared for the answers they were going to get and just dealing with that, like growing personally, making sure you're helping them, like all those things. It's just. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. What a good question. I think it's hard because I don't want people to feel like the only place that they can feel safe or come as they are is like in my space or in our appointments. So I want them to feel like beyond my, our office is a whole world where you can still feel embodied. And so how do I, how do I bridge that gap between what happens in session and what happens out there? 
because I think so many people feel overwhelmed with how contrary the messages are from their doctors or from their colleagues if they're doing a weight loss challenge at work. And so trying to help people build, I don't know if definitely the word isn't resilience, um, like the ability ability to self-regulate like their emotions and navigate what comes up in when they're when they're facing some really tough stuff outside of the office. And so as a dietitian, there's only so far I can go with that. Yeah. But how can I model it like as a fat person, as a human living in this world? I think that's what I try to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. That's that for sure is a challenge. Yeah. <sighs> Diet culture. What do you I know. <laughs> I, yeah. I love having these conversations. And also sometimes it's just like this like feeling of like, I wish, like I want to yeah. scream like a lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, how do we, how do we not get stuck in that place? Like I'm always asking myself that too as a provider because like, yeah, it's, it's easy, especially in private practice. It's easy to like, you know, like live on your cloud and do your work. And how do we still make the changes outside of the office and stuff? So it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, what are you doing outside of the fact that you're helping people in that, like, we'll call it the nine to five lane? Right, right, right. So I feel like one of the ways I'm making the biggest difference is like through speaking to providers. Sometimes it's um, like professional organizations or conferences or like more private workshops. And I, I really like that because it allows not only for me to share these messages people don't know about, but also to get people's feedback and see what their responses are. And then like reaching any provider, I always end my talks with like, okay, I need you to go and tell your colleagues and tell your patients and tell other people about it. And so I know it's still very small scale, but it's one of the ways I feel like I'm having the biggest impact. Um, And then outside of that, I think like my work with ASDA, the Association for Science, Diversity and Health, we're trying to restructure something. So hopefully to change like the future of health at every size and making it just more accessible. So I feel like those two are how I'm trying to kind of put my energy out there so it doesn't get caught up in the angry place or doesn't get in feeling really stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Realized. That's like what this podcast has done for me. Um, I want it to grow. Like I want it to be bigger and I'm evolving with the things I even want to talk about on here, but that's what I feel like I, I would just sit around like griping about it. And I just want to like try and move things forward and educate people because it, I agree. It, it feels very just gross to sit with the distress of it when so many people around you don't understand yet. It's like, okay, well, I would like to help you understand. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it, it gives you an outlet to do that and mm-hmm. even a creative outlet. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So do you get to speak often? I'm sure COVID has thrown a little bit of a wrench in this. <laughs> well, yeah, actually now it, it's just virtual, but I've been doing a lot of speaking. I think I'm trying to cut down a little bit um, just because for me, oh my gosh, before any sort of speaking event, it's like my anxiety goes up and then it goes down right after. Yeah. So I'm trying to cut back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's been averaging one like like one thing per month in the last okay. seven, eight months. And then before that, maybe every couple months. So it, it's pretty fun, but it's 
yeah it's also like as a fat person there are times where it can feel exhausting because it's about one of my identities yeah. and so I think just deciding like what I have the capacity for yeah. is what I'm trying to figure what I'm trying to figure out now yeah what does your self-care look like like around yeah. making sure that you don't feel exhausted yes oh my gosh okay so many things um, I really like chatting, like me and my friend, my best friend, she lives across the country. And so I feel like um, since the pandemic started, we have these weekly like Sunday morning FaceTime sessions where we'll either like color or paint our nails or bake something or cook Cute. something. Yeah, it's really nice. I like I recommend this for everyone that has someone they love that lives far away. It, it helps us stay connected. And we kind of like hold each other accountable for doing this thing. Like, okay, get the watercolors out. Let's paint something or yeah. So it, that's been really nice. Um, like movement that feels empowering. So like strength training is a good, it's a good outlet for the anger. Yeah. <laughs> for me at least. Um, those are two. Oh, creating something like creating for Instagram. Actually, I, I have been a bit inactive on social media intentionally but before that like it's it's a really nice outlet to get something out there similar to how you describe with the podcast and like share the message and then also hear feedback from others so it was helpful so I think those are a couple big ones um oh also I adopted two cats I know Danny saw, saw one of them before we started recording but that's been another really nice way to just yeah feel connected to something outside of myself yes I love that do they cuddle you yes good. one is very cuddly oh good. my god so much fun yeah. yes animal cuddles is probably one of my favorite self-care yes. rituals of all time Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've always had pets, but these are my first pets. And oh my gosh, what a change. It's been really nice. That is really exciting. Congratulations on becoming a cat mom. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I adopted them in December and no regrets. It's been really cool. Oh, good. I feel like a lot of people have gotten pets that hadn't had them before, but during the pandemic, because you're home. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have gotten them if it wasn't for the pandemic. But I so during this time, so many of my friends were like, oh, my gosh, I got a cat or a dog and it's great. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to try. And it's yeah, it's been nice. Yay. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm curious when you are speaking to how this is part of your identity that you're talking about. Um, do you how do you handle people being like fragile about these conversations and getting like offended or disagreeing? Like, how do you handle that? Right. Hmm. I'm trying to think of an example. I think I try to like one, remember for me personally, and this is like, before I learned about this, I was a really fat phobic person. Before I was fat, I was a really fat phobic person. And I also, like, I always ask myself if my identity, like, didn't change in that way, I wonder, like, what it would have taken for me to just have more compassion. And I know for me, like, my fat phobia and my lack of compassion for others was really related to how I felt for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think because it feels like where I was to now feels like such a contrast, Mm -hmm. I usually have, like, some compassion for the other person. Um, but I also have frustration and anger sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a compassion party. Yeah. But, but that does help. Um, and so I, I try to understand where they're coming from 
and like to see if there's a bridge we can gap or like if they're just misunderstanding some information. But if it's something where they're kind of committed to misunderstanding or it seems like it's triggering something deeper in them, mm-hmm. then I try to sort of disengage because there's only so much I can do. Mm-hmm. Like, like how much energy do I want to give this person? Maybe it's something they should discuss with their therapist, you know. So trying to decide like um, where I want to put my emotional energy and trying to make a difference. Yeah. My – um you've probably noticed my like Instagram platform is not, I don't have a ton of followers. Like I'm very much still in the process of growing. And I really know you're fabulous. um, (laughs) But I I understand it's a process. Yeah. And I just recently started to have the balls even, which, oh gosh, I hate that that's a saying. I catch myself and I'm like, (laughs) Um, that I have the nerve to, um, start to like be so concrete because I think I was always worried people would be like she's crazy like this is not what's it and then I would be like not accepted and that was very I'm like an Enneagram type too I don't know if you oh yeah I am I think I'm my three I'm the loyalist I don't remember what number that is I'm not sure let me look it up I'm curious. I think it's three. Is it three? I always forget the number. No, it's six. It's six. For six. Yeah. Yeah, it's six. Okay. But part of my, like, personality is I need people to be happy. So Mm -hmm. trying to advocate for things that are so, so wrong, like, I mean, like, boo-hoo, oh, well, I'll be fine. But, like, it's been hard to put that out there and worry about like will I be accepted but I feel like I've gotten over that part because I'm like well I don't believe differently so why would I not share these messages and so that's just yeah. been like an interesting I've I've kind of started to put my niche together and that's right. why I think I just kind of used Instagram as my personal and then I sometimes would put things out but it it didn't make any sense so I'm like starting to finally brand and like this podcast um is new. I was doing one before and this one is new and it's a little bit different and I'm starting to get there. I don't even remember where I was going with that. Um, right. Think- yeah. Speaking out against. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, and I, hmm, it's interesting. You mentioned Instagram because when I was more active, I guess, I guess like sometimes I would go to events and, um, I got the impression that like a provider that I didn't necessarily know, like they had an impression of me because of my content and they were a little standoffish. And it was, it was just one of those things. I was like, Ooh, this is weird. And it was a little bit of a learning curve and like checking in with the part of me that might want to, um, yeah, like might want to consider, Oh gosh, how do I put this into words? The part of me that felt like, oh gosh, like, why doesn't this person like me? Or like, did I do something wrong? Yeah. I had to kind of remind myself of like, I would have, I would have to turn my back on my values to please this person. And if, you know, like if they don't like me. Right. Yeah. It's really okay. But I I know for me, there was also a bit of a process and getting used to that. And it wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't a lot of people. And I, I don't know. I don't know unless there are more people I just don't know about, but it felt like there was a lot more support than not. That's good. I guess that's human nature is we assume the worst. Right. Yeah. So good. I'm glad that your experience has been positive overall. Mine too. That's why I think I'm just like, if I one day have 
a larger following and my podcast takes off at a larger capacity, mm-hmm. I'm like bracing for like the first person that comes at me. I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> right. you'll be ready. It'll be easier <laughs> than you expect. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I was nervous about this. <laughs> Yeah. Or they just won't say anything because they're like, oh no, they might go off on me. And so, <laughs> so it'll work in your favor either way. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. But it's tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's mostly beautiful because I yeah. like doing this work. Right. For sure. I hear you. Um. I have, I have a lot of questions. Um, what would you say to um, people who are trying to help with body positivity, but doing it in the ways of like pulling their yoga pants down and showing that their belly is bigger unless it's being compressed and like, like still using kind of the before and after and like using their body very much as marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, and, so, gosh. Oh, sorry. Finish your question. No, okay. I just want to make sure you knew what I was asking because I, <laughs> I ramble, but I'm just wondering in the, the lens of like, I feel like people get very protective mm-hmm. of that because they're mm-hmm. like, the argument is always if someone in a larger body did this, they would be praised and they're mm-hmm. kind of like the points being missed. And I was curious if you could speak to that because mm-hmm. like I I see why it's wrong, but I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it goes back to what you were saying before, how there are so many people that feel body dissatisfaction. And um, because that's such a common experience, it can feel really important and empowering to show that bodies come in different sizes, like on the smaller spectrum. But I, I think what's really important to remember is like in America, the average size is like size 14. Yeah. And so in reality, like um, if you're not used to seeing like size diversity in the media, that's one thing. But in reality, the sizes that are facing oppression are like usually like like larger than size 14. Mm-hmm. Like so they're way far from just only that small smaller body spectrum right and so there's a whole group of people that are are actually facing like the worst experiences when it comes to like dealing with body stuff and those are the people that are being left out and so when the more we're uplifting these other bodies or these other messages not only are we like hiding the fact that there's a bigger issue going on but like this isn't even an issue at all. Like this, like it's something that's happening on such a small scale, right. and it's something that gets the most likes, and it kind of t- mes- um, waters down the body positive message by making it sound like it's not political. It's really just oh, it's about loving your body. Yeah, I love your phrase of it being watered down. Yeah, I've heard a lot of like it's been co opted, but I think right. the that can really like poke at people of like I'm not allowed to care but it's like no it's actually watering down an a-, a serious problem that we need right. to fix and so that's not helping anyone right exactly and so it's it's when I think of like different body sizes like there are some that experience like so much oppression and it's all happening and at the same time if we're trying to uplift these other bodies it's yeah it causes so much harm and I, I know people that are creating that content don't mean to do it, but it exactly. still has an impact. Yeah, it's tough. It's and yeah, it's tough I, one. I think that's where like the fragility comes into play with so many mm-hmm. different 
um, conversations we're having is because no one is, most people are not blatantly trying to act a fool. Mm -hmm. And it just sucks to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, like I goofed. I need to own it and move forward if I actually care about helping. Right. Yeah. And I think it goes to like people being really scared to be seen or perceived as wrong or doing something wrong. And like, we're all going to mess up. Like, I don't know. I I don't know how loud we can say it. And if we just cause so much harm by trying to pretend that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like something we all have in common. It doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. right um as far as advocacy goes with this like I want to know how do we like get doctor's offices to like know not to put people on diet like how do you how do we get this out there like I think about sometimes putting a packet together and marching into every doctor's office and just like leaving it and be like hey you should read this and just dip and then let them like <laughs> sink their teeth into it, like just throw it at them. Yeah, basically. So, yeah. Well, oh gosh, such a million dollar question. You know, I think a great opportunity is people within privilege to speak up. Like, if you're going to see your PCP, um, if you're going to just as a dietitian speaking to providers about it, because doctors really have so much like stigmatized stigma towards fat bodies. And so I just, I know that the message coming from a thin person, a fat person, it's not going to be heard the same way. And we need to make it, we need to make doctors realize that there's a lot more going on there because all of this that they say they're doing under the guise of health, when it seems to be a lot more just connected to their ego and other stuff that's going on. Yeah, it really, so much gets misconstrued. But I I think that's where, like, people within privilege, if they have, like, the emotional energy, too, it's so important to speak up. Maybe we should um, talk offline about some packets of information. Yes, I'm for it. I'm totally for it. I love the packet idea. I'm I'm having, like, light bulbs pop off in my head. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else? Oh, and then, like, airlines oh yeah airlines oh my gosh the fact that seats are getting smaller over time like it makes no sense nobody's comfortable on airplanes like it's yeah it's wild yeah i'm i just have i have thoughts going going through my mind here about these kinds of things and just like having the awareness about how much of an oppression this actually is Mm -hmm. and when you start thinking about that at a larger scale like let's funnel our energy into that rather than before and afters of like very minute roles oh exactly yeah and like the fact that discrimination is legal in most of america like there's there are so many issues that need awareness and those are yeah that's not getting seen as much yeah Yeah, that's like my biggest reason for people to listen to this podcast and like talking about like larger scale issues that are going on because diet culture distracts you from it Mm -hmm. because it takes up all your space especially if you end up with a full-blown eating disorder Mm -hmm. you can forget it that's your life exactly yeah and it like it just keeps promising that things can be perfect one day I think that's what makes yeah I think Yeah, it's really frustrating. Yeah. What is your, like, 
advice for people trying to leave diet culture behind? Oh my gosh. What are you looking for diet culture to do? Like, what's the promise? Mm. What's the ideal life you see at the like light at the end of the tunnel? Because there's no reason why in this moment, like you can't try to just live your life in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is such a good reflection point. I really, really love that. Just come it's so basic and coming back right. to that. And it's like right. hearing people say things like, I need to lose weight in order to go and enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but what's gonna be different? Right. And it's like the the real barriers, it's not it's not people's bodies. It's like policies yes. that are like making lives harder and yes. stuff. So it's like, yeah, like the, I, I know there are some barriers for like living in the moment, but it just promises that there's a perfect yeah. life waiting at the end of a diet. Yeah. yeah, it does. And we have this epidemic. It's not an mm-hmm. obesity epidemic. In my mind, it's an epidemic of blaming people for their own oppression. Right. Yeah. And that's, Like, most people think that. Mm -hmm. Like, I've had, I have friends that have said things to me, like, it's my fault that they weren't able to do something because of their body size. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to stop that because this Mm -hmm. is about this organization not caring that there are people Mm -hmm. in larger bodies. Like, this is not you. But our culture does such a good job of blaming Mm-hmm. the individual exactly yeah and the fact that it puts so much blame on people that their whole identity becomes tied to trying to shrink their bodies it's yeah. so sad and so for anyone listening that isn't familiar with weight stigma this is kind of what we're talking about um in this moment is that idea that it's your like personal responsibility to manipulate your body size in order to be quote unquote healthy enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that, that pressure put on the individual can actually cause the health problems that we blame on weight and fat. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's something like on your Instagram page. Am I correct? That's like one of your things about weight stigma. Probably. Yeah. Um, so I, it just, to me, if, if what you're, yeah, just to expand, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think so many people don't realize that weight stigma literally has like physiological effects on people. Yeah. And so the added stress it puts on bodies um, is we see that it's connected to like, um, what's the word? Like, yeah, glucose metabolism, mm-hmm. dysregulation, lipid dysregulation, um, higher inflammatory markers. Like there are so many ways that we see it directly affecting health. And then there's like the whole indirect piece. So the fact that doctors discriminate, the right. fact that people avoid health care. So I think we're really just starting to get at the tip of the iceberg yeah. of realizing just how harmful it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else that is on your mind that you wanted to talk about? Just we've kind of covered like so many things and Yeah. You know, I don't think so. This was lovely. I loved all of your questions. I yeah, it was really nice. Good. And again, I'm so happy that we were able to connect um and to sit down and have an actual conversation. You are such a wonderful human being and I feel lucky to have gotten to um, to know you and that we're, we exist in the same space professionally, which is even better to like know people that you really resonate with. 
Oh, yeah. The feeling is so mutual. Yeah. I'm so happy we met. I'm looking forward to staying in touch post podcast. Yeah. Um, I'll link um, your resources that um, your Instagram and your website and things like that in this podcast description so that people can find you. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can keep up with what's going on with the diet culture pod on my personal Instagram page, dietitian Danny cast. This podcast is made possible by my brother, Nick Lewis, who helps me edit and produce, um, co-edit and produce. And we're also available on YouTube. So for future reference, if you prefer to watch rather than just listen, that's where you can find us. Can't wait to talk to you next week.